Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. I'd like to talk about the anointing. You know, we say we want to be anointed. We believe in physically anointing with oil. And I'll tell you this, that you know, most of you here, that in our both tenures in all, we spent about seven years in Illinois. So every once in a while when I'm dealing with this word, O-I-L, sometimes the raised in Chickasaw County oil comes out. And every once in a while, those seven years of Illinois hit me and I say oil. And I might say it different times today. So just bear with me today. But we believe in physically anointing with oil. We have some right up here. Most Pentecostal churches, they have a bottle of oil usually toward the front so that it can be used. We read here in the text that the prophet Samuel anointed the future king David with oil. In the book of James chapter 5 and verse 14, Scripture tells us, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You know, we anoint people and we pray over them about many different things in their lives. I believe because the book of Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27 tells us that the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. King James says because of the anointing. The new King James actually says because of the anointing oil. You see, I believe that it is a physical representation of what we want to happen in the spirit realm. Sometimes it's a little dab. Sometimes it's in the form of a cross on someone's forehead. And sometimes you end up in one of those services where it just plumb like happened to David here. It just gets dumped over your head. Come on, if you've ever been in a service uh, last year about this time, Joel Talley was here with us, and he's been throughout Mississippi a lot and preached, and I've been in some services with him where he'll get, I don't know if he's anointed or crazy or maybe both, and he'll, he'll get you up in the altar, and he'll take the bottle, and he usually asks, he's like, are you okay? And he'll give you about two seconds to decide and dump the oil over your head. I remember back when I was younger and back at our home church at Thorne, I, I remember an evangelist, his last name was Matt. That's one of the first times I've ever seen it happen. And I don't know if my parents remember that he brought a tarp and he put it in the altar there at Thorn. And he actually asked you to hold out your hand. And I remember him pouring oil in your hands. And so we find that there's, you know, many different ways that this can happen. Traditionally in the Bible, it was olive oil. And usually that's what is used even today. Most of the time in Pentecost, if you've been around, most of the time back in the day, we've gotten fancy your bottles and all, but, but used to there was that, that bottle that it seemed like every church, Pentecostal church that you went to, had that same old bottle of oil sitting in the front. But listen, there's nothing magic about the oil. You can get, you could go back to the kitchen and you could get some Wesson vegetable oil, or you can get some of that fancy smelling frankincense and myrrh oil. It doesn't really matter about what oil you use. I 
believe it's about the faith that you are using when you by faith anoint with oil. You are doing in the physical what you are wanting to see happen in the spirit realm. When we take the oil and we put it on a person, what we're asking for is we are asking for that yoke-breaking anointing to touch somebody's life and do what can't be done in the natural. We sang about it today. We praise God about it today, about him being the God of the impossible, about him being the healer. I believe when we take this oil, I don't care if I'm praying for your marriage or I'm praying for your kidney stones. I believe when I take the oil of God and put it on your head and pray the prayer of faith, I'm asking God in the spirit realm to take that holy anointing oil of the spirit of almighty God and touch your life and break every chain and break every yoke off of your life. So I want to share with you this morning a few thoughts about the anointing. Really and truly, I could probably preach a, a six-message series at least on this, but don't panic. I, so the clock's back up there this week, so I'm not going not to get too crazy here. i got four quick things I want to give you this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, the anointing comes through unity. Everybody say unity. The book of Psalms 133, verses 1 through 3, and the NIV says this. says, a song of ascents of David. Now, I mentioned this a couple weeks back, the psalm, the psalm or the song of ascents. Anybody remember that? You remember wherever you're at in Israel, if, you were tr if you're trying to get from anywhere in Israel to the Temple Mount, it's always what? Up. It's up. It's on the Temple Mount. You got no matter where you're at in the land of Israel, you got to go up. And so the psalm or the song of ascent, there are several of them throughout the book of Psalms because how many of you know the book of Psalms is a song book? And it was songs that they would sing. And the psalm of ascents, those were songs that they would sing on their way to church. So instead of fighting on the way to church, Instead of fighting on the way to church, instead of, you know, listening to something else, you know, that has nothing to do with the Lord, that before they ever got to church, they started getting their mind on Christ and began worshiping before they ever got there. So this is a song that they would sing on the way to church, one written by David. He said, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. He said, it is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So we know that this was the song, one of the songs that they would sing on the way to church. And so one of the songs that they would sing on the way to church was a song about how they needed unity in the church. Well, a couple of you believe that. I said the song that they sang on the way to church was a song about how they needed to be in unity when they got to church. They needed to be in unity with their husband or their wife. They needed to be in unity with their kids. They needed to be in unity when they got in the building. Can I tell you, we got something special here that don't a whole lot of churches, especially in the state of Mississippi, have. We got a whole bunch of different people from a whole different 
bunch of different places with a whole different bunch of colors of skin with a whole different backgrounds all together in the house of God. And so when we come into this place, we say, Lord, I don't care what the person beside me or behind me in front of me looks like. I don't care where they came from. They're my brother and sister in Christ. And what I want to do when I get into the house of the Lord is I want to come in unity. I want to come together because we're all washed in one blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to come together. I want unity because if there's ever going to be anointing in the house, there's got to be unity in the house. So on their way to church, they sang about how they needed to be in unity. And when the church is in unity, there is an anointing in the house. When we can get together, I'm not going to, I'm not saying, I'm not stupid. Some people may say I am, but I'm not completely stupid. I know sometimes we're going to have disagreements. I know sometimes we're going to have things that don't always work out. Just read the New Testament. Read the book of Acts. Even Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. Even some of the most anointed people disagreed on some things sometimes. There's going to be times where we have disagreements. There's going to be times in our life where we don't agree on everything, but we can still come together and have unity even if we don't see everything completely the same way. And when the church will come together in unity, when we can put aside our differences, when we can put aside our opinions, when we can come together under the bloodstained banner of the cross of Jesus Christ, it's at that point that God will put his anointing in the house and then we can see bodies healed. Then we can see marriages restored. Then we can see crooked limbs straightened. Then we can see cancer heal. Oh, come on, I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting today. Then we can see the miracle working, yoke-breaking anointing of God in the middle of the place whenever we come together in unity. An anointing does something else we find in this. Anointing covers. Everybody say anointing covers. There's two representations that we find. First, he says, tells us about unity and that the unity then brings Two covering examples. First was Aaron. How many of you remember who Aaron was? He was Moses' brother. He was the very first high priest. And we find that there was a ceremony, and that ceremony was that Moses took, and it would go on for all of the high priests. And I, don't worry, I'm not dumping this out. But the high priests, they would take just like Samuel did. He took the horn of oil, and they would dump it over his head. And so here we find David... Isn't that amazing? David wasn't there. This, this is hundreds of years later. David wasn't there, but, the, but the, 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 the meaning and the picture of it had been carried on through the years throughout Israel. And so David here writes about how that holy anointing oil went down his head, down his beard, down his collar, all the way down to his feet, that there was a covering of the anointing. And then he uses, he's as, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, what do y'all know about dew? We know that dew covers things. You walk out in the morning, and if it's a cold enough morning, it's not dew, it's frost. But whatever it is, when you walk out, everything is wet. Everything is covered with the dew. So here David said, I want the anointing of God. It's like the dew that falls on Mount Zion. You see, what I want for Startful Church of God is for up here on this hill. When we come up on this hill, I want it to be like the dew on Mount Hermon, the, Herm the dew of Hermon. 
sermon on Mount Zion. I want the anointing of Almighty God to cover this place. I want when you walk in this building, I don't want the actual dew because we got a newer roof and it's going to hold, but I want that holy dew. I want the anointing and the presence of Almighty God when we come together in unity in this place, that there's not a man, woman, boy, or girl that's left out, that everybody in this house is covered with that holy yoke-breaking anointing of Almighty God. Secondly, we find that the anointing comes. Probably not going to shout as much about this one. The anointing comes through submission to authority. We find that David was a man of a great anointing, but David was a man who, he, of course, he had a lot of faults. We can get into that in another sermon. But there's a reason why we preach about and read about and talk about David because he had a lot of good things too. And one of the good things about David is that David submitted to authority. First of all, he submitted to Jesse, his father. How many know the Bible still teaches that? I may start at the beginning of the year. I may start a series on the Ten Commandments. How many know the Bible says to honor your father and mother? I believe that, I believe that there's something about that. And David submitted to Jesse. We find that when Samuel showed up at the house, all the other boys were there. He ran all the other boys by Samuel. And Samuel's like, this is not it. I know God said to come here, but this is not it. Are there any, the very first verse we read today, are there any other young men around here? And what did Jesse say? He said this. He said, yes. He's like, He's, there he is. He's keeping the sheep. He's doing the job that nobody else wanted to do. He's out there with the sheep. He's not at the house. He's not with the, with the army. He is out there doing the job that nobody else wanted to do. I put him out there to do it. And David did what he was told. He tended his father's sheep. And can I say this, that when he did that, I believe that that's where, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, David learned a whole lot out there in that sheep field. Somebody say amen. We find David submitted to Jesse, but David also refused to harm King Saul. King Saul, even before David's anointing here in chapter 16, Saul had already gone into a backslidden condition. But in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 7 through 9, so David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? You see, we find that at this point that we've read from chapter 26 that Saul was in a backslidden condition. He had been chasing. David had been running for his life. And now we find another instance. He had had one before, and now we find another instance where here David has the opportunity. He didn't even have to do it. He could say the blood wouldn't even be on his hands. Abishai was saying, hey, I'm I'm not going to have to do it but one time. You know what he was saying. I'm going to take that spear, and in one lick, it's going to pin him to the ground. But David said, I cannot allow you to lay a hand on God's anointed. You see, there are so many people in the church world 
who are uninterested in submitting to any kind of authority. You know, we've got a lawless society right now. What's going on around our society? We shouldn't be surprised because we find that Paul said in this book that the spirit of the Antichrist was already in the world when Paul was on this planet. And we know another name for the Antichrist is what? The lawless one. We know that there is a spirit of lawlessness that wants to come in as is already in this world. But I'm telling you, people of God, what this book teaches about is that if you truly want to be anointed, you'll learn to submit to the authority that is placed over you. I knew it would be quiet there. Now, let me say this. No, no person, no system is perfect. Saul was a prime example of that. Saul was backslidden. Read chapter 15. He was already backslidden. The Spirit of the Lord had already departed from him. But David knew something. He said, I will not jeopardize my anointing by going against the anointed man of God, by going against the authority. Can I just tell you something? There are so many people today in every realm of society. And let me just stop, and I'll just preach about the church for right now. There are so many people today that don't want to submit to any kind of authority at all. Listen, I'm not saying you know me well enough now. The church of God is not the only way, but I believe that there's something important for me to have a state overseer, a bishop that I submit to an authority over me. And listen, I know just like pastors, they're not perfect, but I've come to the realization no matter how it is, if it's in a denomination or some other way, there is authority over us that we should submit to. I'm going to protect my anointing, and I'm going to submit to the authority over me. Thirdly, what else do we find? We find that the anointing is for action. We find that David was a man of war. Verse 18, I kind of joked with Jamie last week, and I said I wish that Jamie would say like this guy was saying about David. Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, verse 18 of chapter 16. Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. You see, David, the Bible here says, that the guy described, he's like, oh, I know a dude, he's a man of war. David was a man of action. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in a sermon also, when everybody else was hiding from Goliath. When David, anybody remember that? David was the first door dash. And David showed up at the battlefield. Everybody else was hiding from Goliath. And David's like, I'm not going to hide from this uncircumcised Philistine that is blaspheming my God. And while everybody else was hiding, David ran at him. You see, when you're anointed, you won't run from the devil. You'll run at the devil. Not to chase him, but to chase those whom he has taken captive. Matthew 11 and 12 says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. In Matthew 16 and 18, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can I tell you something here? Jesus here calls it out. He said, Peter, the, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against my church. What do gates do? Well, they don't do a whole lot besides 
it's open and closed. But there's one thing that gates don't do. They don't move, do they? A gate stays stationary. So what does that say here when Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail? It tells me that armies do move because Song of Solomon 6.10 says, Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, terrible as an army with banners? I believe that the church is an army and there are loved ones, there are friends, there are lost people that hell has taken captive. They're trapped in their sins. They're trapped in drugs. They're trapped in alcohol. They're trapped in all of these things. But what God has called us to do is to get anointed and to begin to charge the gates of hell and begin to see souls saved like we never have before. In Luke 4 and 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Can I just tell you something, Starkville Church of God? God is not anointing us just to sit on our hands and post on Facebook about how anointed we are. No, He has anointed us for action. He has anointed us for spiritual warfare. He has anointed us so that we can go forth into this city, so we can go forth into this county, so we can go forth and take back what the enemy has taken from us. It's time for us to begin to preach again. Preach about how people can be delivered. Preach about how people can be set free. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Come on, give God praise if you believe it. We're not just anointed to have good services and sit here and keep it to ourselves. Now, I'm glad to have good services, but those good services have got to be taken out of here when we go. Fourthly and finally, the anointing is activated by worship. We find in verse 23 of chapter 16, and it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day that David took a harp, played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. You see, as David played and worshipped, Saul was, the Bible says, he was refreshed and the evil spirit had to leave. I told you I was going to come back here. See, David had been a worshiper from a young age, When he was out there where I told you where nobody else wanted to be out in the sheep field with the stinky sheep, while he was out there where nobody else wanted to be, he was doing several things, and one of those was becoming a worshiper. He was learning to worship when nobody else was around. God help me. Over the years, you know, we don't don't do specials no more. Help me, Jesus. But I have seen it where somebody that don't ever sing, suddenly they, they want to sing a special. And not only do they want to sing a special, you know when they wanted to sing that special? Easter Sunday morning. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say too much here. I want to keep this where I'm not chasing rabbits here. I've seen those that, that simply want to worship and be seen. But David learned to become a worshiper way out here 
when nobody else but God could see him. Can I tell you that you'll learn to become a worshiper when there's nobody else but God looking. When you're just riding around in your car, and maybe somebody might see you at the red light, but they think you're crazy, so it's not like it's a good thing. <laughs> Come on, anybody ever done that before? Lord, I've been praying, pulled up at a light, and look over somebody's like, they're thinking, now with all these earbuds and everything, they think you're just talking on the phone. But back in the day, they thought, that dude's crazy. He's talking to himself. But you see, if you want to be anointed, you've got to learn to do what you're supposed to do even when nobody else is around to see it. Even as David was promoted, listen to this. This is important. Even as David was promoted, he never lost his worship he developed when he was out there where nobody else was. Look at 2 Samuel with me. I want you to see this. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to give you a second to turn there because I want you to see this. 2 Samuel chapter 6. At this point in time, and I think I've even hit on some around some of this before and preached about this some before. David had become king over all Israel. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He had messed up the first time. They put it on a cart. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. They left it at Obed-Edom's house because Uzzah got struck dead. And it stays at Obed-Edom's house for a little while. And he gets word that God was blessing Obed-Edom's house. And David's like, uh-uh, he ain't taking my blessing He's like, we're about to start this over again, and we're going to get this ark back. And so now David has researched it. I know y'all probably get tired of me saying this, but I'm going to give our general overseer again credit. You can't be more spiritual than you are scriptural. The reason that Uzzah got killed the first time was because they weren't doing what the book had said for them to do, how to handle the glory of God. So Uzzah died, and then they gave up on it for a little while. But then David went back, and he went back to the book, and he went back to the law, and he found out what God had to say. So then they began to move it like they were supposed to. Instead of, on a, instead of being on a cart, they had it what? On the shoulders of the priests. And so here they are, 2 Samuel 6, 14 and 15. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So what we have here is the linen ephod was, it was linen. It was like some plain, white, onesie-looking thing. In other words, he had taken off. All of his kingly garments, any purple, any gold crown, anything that would bring attention to David as a king, he removed that stuff from himself and began to dance with all of his might before the Lord. In fact, David wrote Psalm 35 and 18, and it says this. He said, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. You may have heard me preach this before. There's five Hebrew words for praise, and the one that David uses in Psalms 35 and 18 is the Hebrew word halal, which means to be clear, to shine, hence to make a show, to boast, and to thus be clamorously 
foolish, to rave, to celebrate. Another word, I believe when David wrote Psalm 35 and 18, he was thinking about that day that they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back and he was giving a halal praise. What kind of praise? Where you look foolish, where you look silly, where you don't really, you ain't got really much rhythm and you don't really look like you got it all together, but you're going to give everything you've got. You're going to move. That's like back in the day. Come on, anybody remember y'all Pentecostal folks when there used to be some helicopters in the church or there used to be some huckabucks in the church? Come on, Pentecostal folks. Y'all remember what I'm talking about. Back when we didn't care what we looked like, when we didn't care how foolish we might have looked, we said we're going to praise God no matter what anybody thinks about us. So David gave this halal praise, but don't think that somebody didn't notice. 2 Samuel 6, verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. Stop right there for just a second. This is a bonus part. I know I'm a little bit old-fashioned, but I still believe there's something significant about a husband, a father, coming and worshiping God and blessing his family. I still believe there's something. David returned to bless his household. I want to worship and I want to praise God in such a way that when I get home, I can speak blessings over my wife. I can speak blessings over my children. I can speak blessings over my church. Listen, when I go to meetings, when I go to camp meetings and stuff, I want to go and I want to praise and I want to be able to come back. I want to speak blessings on my church family. I believe there's something significant when we worship and activate the anointing of God on our lives and then we can speak the blessings of God over our families. That was just a little bonus one there. So, And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. Now, this is David's wife. A whole other side. T- there's so much preaching. I told y'all there's so much preaching here because this is the first time she was known. The Scripture would talk about her as David's wife. And now at this point... Now the scripture, when it refers to her, will once again refer to her not as David's wife anymore, but as Saul's daughter. Why? Because she had that same spirit that her daddy had. Saul came out, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Remember what I said. He wasn't naked. He had taken off the kingly garments. And he was naked of any glory or splendor that his position would have brought. But he had on clothes. Hit the person beside you say, he did have on clothes. Linen ephod. He was there. Verse 21. So David said to Michal, this, this, he gets real here. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. 
But as far as the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in high honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You better be careful criticizing somebody else's praise. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what God has done for them. And even if you did and you think it's excessive, just mind your own business. Because Michal criticized David's praise. And David, man, can you imagine that? He said, girl, this is RDL version here. Girl, you going to be like that? That's why God gave me your daddy's job. Because he was proud, and he didn't care nothing about praising. He said, but I'll be even more undignified. I'll humble myself in the sight of the Lord because I know when I do, it'll be him that will exalt me in due time. Can I just tell somebody here today that if you want the anointing of God on your life, you need to be willing to praise. You need to be willing to worship. You need to not care what anybody around you. Give him a howl-all praise. You may look silly. You may look undignified. People may laugh at you, but God's anointing will rest on your life, and every yoke can be broken off of your life. Give him praise if you believe it. Lord, we just invite you. You're already here, but we invite you to continue to have your way. I know we're getting toward the end of this service. And I know that people have got places to go, and I'm not going to drag anything out in the flesh, but I do believe you've got something you want to do here before we leave. So I pray, oh, Lord, that you'd help us. Help us keep our minds on you. Help us to stay fixed and fastened on you right now. God, don't let any distractions keep us from what you're wanting to do in this place. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at StarkvilleCOG.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.